again, everyone, and welcome to the Living the Grace Life podcast. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, on our 17th episode, and all 17 episodes have been with the studio extraordinaire, Wayne Dallaire, behind the scenes, running the board. Wayne, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. Thank you for asking. That's great. 17 times, Joe. And then, and of course, Pastor Joe Davis of Grace Life Sarasota, across from me, always looking for a way to talk about how the 90s NBA was better than today's game. Well, uh, it surely was, but we'll talk about that later on. But I just got to say, I think you've gone too far now in recognizing Wayne. You're overcompensating. There's, there's such a thing as too far? Yeah, you're overcompensating. Wayne, that's not true. Now, seem, what do you think about that, Wayne? It doesn't seem I sincere. I know my place. Yeah. <laughs> that's not right. Oh, well, Wayne no. is here. Joe is here. And also be joined in this episode by Trent Meacham. Now, Trent, He's a player that actually played for Tony Parker. A lot of people know mm -hmm. him. The NBA actually is going to Paris this year, the first NBA game wow. ever in Paris, with Parker now being on the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, that game will take place in January. But Trent, I met him at the American Church in Paris, just one of the most stand-up guys you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. He's from the University of Illinois. He was an academic All-American nine years in the European League, and there's a chance he's going to go back, which is really exciting. So he's going to talk about faith and really give us a look at kind of wrapping up chapter five of your book, Joe, this whole idea of this affectionate accountability mm. and how it is that we are able to show who it is that we are, still be accountable to Christ, yet still be vulnerable in the process. Mm. So that's coming up. We're also going to get to the workbook questions for chapter five which we're probably going to touch on the action, by the way, Joe. I don't want to get you, sometimes I don't want, I want to get your real okay. input. Don't, don't skim don't ahead. Don't think, don't think about, about it. it. Don't skim ahead. We've got that coming up. Plus, we've got your questions. If you've got one, just email us at Living the Grace Life Podcast. That's Living the Grace Life Podcast at gmail.com. It is all right here in episode 17 of the Living the Grace Life Podcast. Well, Joe, with the NBA Finals here coming up, we have with us on the line to wrap up Chapter 5 of your book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. We've been talking about practicing affectionate accountability, and truly, I couldn't think of someone who would be better to have with us for this conversation than Trent Meacham. Now, Trent was an academic All-American at the University of Illinois, mm. played European basketball for nine years, was wow. actually the MVP of the French League Cup for a team named Nanterre. Trent, you may not mm. know this, but you might have heard me. I was shouting. You were on the bench with about five and a half minutes left in that game, and I was shouting at the top of my lungs, put in Meacham. <laughs> Trent was the MVP of that game. He played in the French League and a great buddy of mine that I got to meet at the American Church in Paris. And, uh, Great father and three kids, beautiful wife, Teresa Trent. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. And, and, and uh, Jim, I couldn't hear you during that game. She was next game, to but, us, uh, I think. My wife did confirm your courtside antics. So um, I appreciate that that support. 
Don't don't feel too special because he does the same thing at church. No, that's put not Joe true. in. They want me to put preach in and Joe. He, yeah, yeah, he does the same thing. <laughs> well, I had the right plan there. So, uh, well, Trent, I tell you, it's been a joy to watch you both on and off the court. And just, I think uh, let's start because in Joe's book, there's uh, in in chapter five, he's talking a lot about what he calls affectionate accountability, which we've already gone through certain things like restless affection and humble love. Mm -hmm. And for you as a basketball player, you're always involved, it seems like, with, in terms of athletics, there's always the spotlight, there's always the media, there's always the attention, all kinds of things that you guys would deal with that maybe the average person doesn't. How would you, in terms of looking at something, living your life a certain way with accountability, but not having that accountability is like a burden, but really wanting to live that? Like, did you feel, was that hard? And did you feel sort of separated and different from maybe some of the, some of the other guys who, who maybe didn't feel that they had to, 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 were called to live that way? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, this is everyone's favorite subject, right? Accountability. But uh, I, I think we need, accountability is essential for us to be our best. Just based on our own, just going at it on our own, by our own willpower or, or whatever, you can only go so far and, you know, we're, we're all weak. And um, so we need, yeah, we need others around us to, to kind of push us and keep us in place. And, and I think as an athlete, you know, you just got to be more aware nowadays if you're doing anything oh, wow. that's somewhat in the, the spotlight. And, and people see everything now with um, everybody's got a record, you know, a, a, a camera on them and, and with social media. So I think just if you're in the spotlight or in any way in the limelight, you just have to be more aware of kind of what you're doing at all times, really. And then I think even as a, as a Christian, you know, then, uh, you know, I think we're held to an even higher standard and it's not something we have to do, but it's something that we, we, we want to, uh, to live a life that's honoring to God and, and that's where, you know, there's, there's an accountability that's just inherent because of social media and whatnot. But when we can have other people come alongside of us and, and, and help us and help coach us along, that's just, um, that's what really, I think, takes us to the next level in any facet of life. Trent, this is Joe. I have a question for you about accountability partners, people that maybe held you accountable in your career as a player. Did you ever experience a time where somebody tried to hold you accountable but you didn't really know them. They hadn't earned the right. And maybe they were being a little aggressive. Did you ever experience that? And I guess I'd like for you to tell me if there's a difference between like guys that you trusted to hold you accountable and maybe other guys who maybe were on some sort of a God cloud or something. I don't know. And because that's one of the things I talk about in the book is that if we're going to hold someone accountable, we have to earn the privilege. So what do you think about that idea and your experiences? Yeah, that's uh, well, I just look at it. Every coach I had, there's a level of accountability that coaches True. have to instill in their teams. And so there was always some level of that, but, but coaches that really um, felt like they didn't just push you, but they believed in you. And when they, when they demanded more of you, it wasn't totally just uh, of a toughness and a, and a, and uh, maybe a, a cursing and, and a demanding way or a demeaning way, but it was more like they believe in you. And so they're really trying to call out the best in you. And, and to, in order to do that, they need to hold you to a high standard and have high expectations for you because they, they believe that you're better than maybe what you're, what you're putting out. You know, I think about Donald Sweeney. He, I've heard him talk about accountability and he, and he talks about you have to have love 
with accountability. And those go hand in hand. And if you're all love, then you're not going to get anywhere in terms of uh, maybe accomplishing the goals of a team or becoming your best. But it also, if you're all just the, the, the tough part of that, the accountability, then you're not going to get the most out of your players because they have to know that you care, you want the best for them. And I think when a coach or anyone uh, demonstrates that first and foremost, then when they when they call you out on something, it just means more. And uh, it's, it's much easier to respond um, in a beneficial way. I love what Dabo says about love and accountability. I say in not so many words in my book that if you have love for someone and there's never any accountability or tough talk, it's wasted love. What's the point of having that intimate, affectionate relationship if it can't result in hard conversations that grow us and push us further? Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, I think I'm a young father. I just I have twins that'll be three here in August. So I've just been at it for mm, wow. seven months old too, but, but, you know, I've just been at it for not even, not even three years now, but, you know, <laughs> and I love, you know, I think about how much that's going to be a recruiting him. nightmare for you. And it's going to be a recruiting nightmare for you yeah, when you're in high school. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, uh, uh, I think about how much I love them. And because of that, you know, I, I have to, I can't just let them do whatever they want. There has to be some accountability and some guidance there, because if not, then, you know, they're going to just, they're going to destroy themselves in our house in the process. So just know, just knowing out of love, out of love, if I can guide them and discipline them, then uh, that's because I love them, and I know that's going to benefit them as they as they grow. Yeah, you were kind of as you went through your career, Trent, starting off there in Europe and kind of learning the ropes, and then all the way through to where. There was a point with uh, a team in Lyon called Asphalt, owned by Tony Parker. You were the captain of that squad. How does accountability and even leadership change in that aspect? Because Joe talks in the book about vulnerability, but as a leader, as you've kind of, you know, worked your way through an experience type of arc, do you have to change kind of the way your accountability and your vulnerability looks going from, okay, I'm a young here just trying to figure out my way around European basketball to, hey, I'm the leader of this team. And really, it, it, I'm going to have to, from an accountability standpoint, maybe be something else that, that I didn't think that, that I was going to have to. Did you have to kind of reconcile yeah, that as I your playing career that, went in on? In that regard, I, I, in some ways, I, I feel like I was always a leader, although it, it may have been a little, a little bit more lead by example type of guy. And I think that's where it starts. If you don't have the example, then, then your leadership is, isn't probably going to go too far. But um, as I progressed, I think just um, realizing the importance and uh, the power and being able to, to be a little bit more intentional in, in the, the words that I speak or not just, not just be having a self-focus in terms of, okay, I need to work on my game and do these things to be my best. And hopefully that breeds into the other guys and they see the work ethic and they see the attitude and that helps them. But uh, I think just being more intentional with having conversations and a lot of that is one-on-one. I think we think of leadership typically being, a, you know, standing in front of the, the, the group and, and giving a speech. But I think one-on-one face-to-face, those are the conversations that can really go a long ways. And you mentioned vulnerability. And I think that can be something that really can be powerful when you, um, kind of take off the mask a little bit and you know that can just open up and show a level of care that can lead to uh you know really you know deep relationships that are full of integrity and openness and then uh you know then it's easier to be accountable i think in those times 
Yeah, that makes sense. Can you be vulnerable with your faith? Like I know Jonathan Isaac, the player for the Orlando Magic, he's an IMG product, came out of here, Bradenton, just up the road, my son playing uh, at IMG now. And so they've they've gone to see the Magic play. And so Isaac goes, he actually preaches at a church on Sunday, invites the whole Orlando Magic team, and no one showed, not one showed up. Mm. And he said in, in the pulpit there, he's like, you know, I... I invited uh-huh. them all, and if they're going to come or not come, I can't do anything about that. Yeah. I wish they were here. I wish they'd support me. Is faith and your Christian values, your belief in Christ, is that something you feel like on a team you're allowed to be vulnerable about, or is that off limits? Our Christian faith is essentially a worldview and how we that's kind of the lens in which we see everything and, and hopefully how we respond to things. So. Whether we're outright preaching the name of Jesus or not, hopefully that message and the truths are evident in just how we go about. And I think to be ready and to be willing and, and to to have those conversations where we are open and vulnerable in ways is, is what we're called to do. But it starts with uh, just those relationships that we're, we're building. And I think, like I said, that's a uh, you know, in some ways, faith is it's, it's essentially a worldview. So that's how we that's how we operate. That's how we live our, our lives. And we're called to plant the seeds, but um, we're not the ones that that uh, we don't have control over. You know how they um, you know the the results of the, those seeds that are planted. Sure, makes sense. I mean, it's really interesting to see just how a lot of these players. It's such a different world that they live in and trying to reconcile your family and being able to to stay. It's happening at such a young age now, too. I just saw one of the top players is going straight to yeah. Australia uh, to play ball. What do you think of that trend where players are now skipping? Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to just be it used to be you go four years. Then I think Larry Bird was the rule, maybe two years. And then mm-hmm. now it's not even just one and done. It's it's none and done. Does that well, make it hard for yeah, these think, guys yeah, to really? Uh, uh, I think handling successes can be more challenging than hand, handling failure at times. And when you when you have uh, success and you have money good. and you have opportunities, you have so many people coming at you. And to, to have that at a young age is just tough. And whether you go to college or not, uh, you're going to have different things come at you that just you can't prepare for. Your professors can't prepare you for. And if, unless you have a really solid group of people around you that you can trust, that's tough. You know, life is tough and, and success can be really tough too in, in, in unique ways that just not many people can relate to. Regarding the kid going to Australia, I don't know if, you know, the old school coach Joe here is going to uh, agree with me, but <laughs> I, I think we have a way of seeing things, especially in America. Like this is how we've always done things. This is the right way that um i you know, uh-huh. i was looking at even quotes in that article in, in an article i saw and and you know this kid wants to go to the nba and and i think he's probably going to be groomed better to achieve his goals in australia than if he goes to um you know mm. and essentially we go to college if you're a student you go to college to mature to grow to put yourself in a position to have success after college so but when it comes to athletics i think we typically it you know we 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 put away the uh, you know they're supposed to sacrifice everything for this team for this coach and and while yes that you know that's that's a part of it you know any team any organization you're a part of their sacrifice but I don't think it's all bad when an individual a young kid 
um, looks at where, where can I put myself in the best position to succeed, to grow as a young man. And if he felt that's the best to be as a pro in Australia, and I know that situation, that league, just because my brother-in-law has played there for almost a decade, I don't think it's a bad option for him. I'll say sure. that. I, I think it, it could be uh, very beneficial in, uh, in some ways that college wouldn't uh, prepare him. Yeah, now I can see how that would be the case. I know Andrew Bogut, who came over from Australia with the Warriors. I just heard an interview today with uh, Looney, who is the big guy also for the Warriors, the backup to Cousins. He talked about, and maybe you can add on this, Trent, from a faith perspective. He said last year, his first year, he was really nervous. He, he actually, so here's an NBA guy, a huge guy. Mm-hmm. He didn't have belief, he said, in his game. He could not... When he went out there, he played, but he had no belief that he could even do this because he'd never done it. And I know you had said before, Trent, you had, you've struggled in your <laughs> newsletter uh, and people, if they want to sign up for that, it's TrentMeacham.com. You can get updates on whatever it is that's on your mind and how it is from your playing days, what you've learned and experienced. So when you had doubt and when you were wondering, how did faith play into the role of, okay, I'm not so sure about my game right now, but I know I've got Christ. Yeah, is that a that's big all, factor? It's a huge thing. And I wish I could say that I, you know, always was able to compete with this, just this, 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 um, belief that, Hey, I'm a child of God first and foremost. And, uh, and I can just go out there and have fun, enjoy it and be my best. But it, it's tough when you're doing something where, um, it, it, it's hard for not to become your identity. And, uh, because, not only is it something mm. that you've been working at your entire life, but everyone else knows you as, you know, an athlete or uh, a basketball player. And so that's what the lens other people see you through. And it's tough to kind of disassociate from that. And, and the, 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 the problem is when that's your identity, then if you lose your failure, you win, you're, you know, you're a winner. Ah. And, and that's just a scary, that's, <laughs> that can be a depressing and, and roller coaster life to live. And, I've been there some ways for sure. Um, as I progress, you know, I think just understanding our worth, our value doesn't come in what we do. And, but that's in who we are as, as, you know, as a child of God. And, and, and I think the more I could embrace that, then it just allowed me, it kind of freed me up to play with more confidence when we're playing out of fear or doing something, making decisions out of fear or hesitancy, we, we typically don't make the, the wisest choices or, we play it safe and, and usually we don't, you know, you don't play as well. So uh, that was a, a process for me throughout my career and, and something that uh, you know, I'm still, still going through and, and, and learning that you know, what I do or is not who I am. And, and but that's, that's a tough one. So uh, Trent, I have a couple of very important biblical questions okay. to ask you. Uh, you will, you, you <laughs> there's only Hold one on. or one way to answer. You can't have any explanation. Okay. It's just, I'm going to give you some choices and you okay. have to pick. Okay. Larry Brown or Chuck Daly? Oh, uh, Chuck Daly. Not bad. Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant? Uh, Jordan. This guy's smart. Okay. (laughs) Carl Malone or Kevin Garnett? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to go with Kevin Mm -hmm. Garnett. That's a tough one. I like that. You're two for three. Okay. These are Um, players and coaches for those out there who may not know what Joe has just done here. Pat Riley? (laughs) Pat Riley or Popovich? Pop. He's Pat, a Hoosier. Pat, He's a Pat, Hoosier. Pat Riley in the 80s or 90s, but today in today's world, I think Pop is, uh, he knows how to connect with people better, I think. <laughs> we, said, we said no explanation, but since you opened it up, Pat Riley did it as a coach He's and a as a general manager. Okay, moving on. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> 
LeBron James or Magic Johnson? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Um, LeBron. His, his longevity, uh, I think, does it for him. I could argue, but I won't. But that's pretty close. <laughs> and the last one, the last one, Duke or Carolina? Oh, wow. That's tough. That's really tough. Uh, I'm going to go with you Duke. You just left Duke. that area. With, yeah. I'm going to go with Duke. You didn't do badly. And I think it just, what I, this is a carefully crafted list of questions to prove <laughs> that you're actually more old school than you're letting on. That's that's right, the biblical analysis of yes. that by Joe. It's a pleasure um, to meet you, Trent. Thank you so much for participating today. Trent, yes, it. it's been just it's awesome to have you here on the show. I know that you've uh, you know you've got your newsletter for people that still want to stay out there. Is it do they just go to trentmeacham.com or how do they sign up for that? Yeah, they can go to that's my website and they can go to that and and register there. Just that's just a bi monthly. Uh, newsletter that I've been putting out, just sharing some of my experiences, some of my struggles, things I'm learning. There's some faith stuff there for sure, but um, in terms of performance and teamwork, leadership. So something I've enjoyed doing, just kind of seeing what resonates with people and how I can hopefully encourage some people in that process. Sure. I love it. You never know who's going to be on there. Tony Parker, Tiger Woods was on one of them. So another one. So uh it's been great. Well, Trent, thanks so much for joining us. And just, I tell you, when we, I, I, and I'm serious here, when I read this chapter on affection and accountability, the person I think of is you. It really, it reminds me so much of the ability that you've had to to live your life with purpose, regardless of what's happening on the floor. And I think what makes you really real is the fact that you admit you struggle in your brokenness that you don't have the answer to. Sometimes you're not sure what it is with your abilities and, and it, that just bleeds into it. That is the answer almost. You don't have a fix for everything. And I just think that's so refreshing to hear in today's world of top 10 ways to fix everything. So, Thank you, Trent, so much. Yeah, I appreciate yeah thanks, it, Trent. We really appreciate you. I appreciate it. You guys have a great day. Talk to you All soon. Right. You too. Thanks. Joe, I'm surprised you didn't ask Trent. Now, you were writing, as he was talking here, you were writing down I your list of questions. of questions for him, yeah. players, coaches. Yeah. But the real big one, maybe because you said yes or no answers only, was the 90s Bulls. I, I'm looking at your scratch here. Right. Versus the 17 Warriors. Yeah. You were going to have him pick. So I was going to have him pick which was the better team. I maintain if the Bulls played the Warriors with in their primes in their okay. primes yep. with the rules that the Bulls had the Bulls sweep them in the rules that the Warriors play with the Bulls win in seven that's interesting yeah. you think they can still hang mm -hmm. with that Absolutely. kind of with the three-point well that would be really interesting because there's one guy who is on both of those teams Steve Kerr Yes. So he's yes. coaching one, but playing in the other. But he has very he, he had very little to do with success success of either <laughs> it one. Depends on which team. <laughs> depends on which team he's on. Uh, it is exciting, I tell you. It was great to hear from Trent because he. I loved how he said vulnerability is such a yeah, he's key. He's a good guy. And I like that. Yeah. How? I mean, you coached a long time too, mm -hmm. Joe. How did, did you reconcile vulnerability as a coach? Because you do have to really be 
kind of elite. Like you said, as you hold people accountable, yeah, you know, how do you become vulnerable or does that look weak? So I coached both football and basketball and I loved them both. I've coached them both for a long time and I had some really good players. Mm. There were a couple of players that I tried to hold accountable and I failed at it because I had not, it's early on in my career, I had not taken the time to make sure they knew why I wanted to hold them accountable. Their assumption That's was- That's why you asked. Okay. Got you know, it. he just wants to win. You know, of course I want to win. I'm competitive. But at the same time, I had to make sure each one of my players knew that I cared about them outside the lines, that I wasn't just interested in making better players. I wanted to make better people. And I didn't really learn how important that lesson was until about three or four years into my coaching career. And it really transformed the way I interacted with my players. And I always could point to a time in the season, at some point in the season, where God just really broke my heart to fall in love with a team. Uh. I coached, you know, dozens of different teams. And at every point in the season, there was a moment where, man, I really love this team. It usually happened, you know, in the first quarter of the season. Sure. It wasn't during camp when they're complaining and it's hot and I'm just, I'm nervous <laughs> and I'm scared we're not going to be prepared for game one. But that moment was really important. And, and that's, and I wanted to make sure my players knew when that happened. So I would remember after about the third or fourth season, it would happen during a practice or something. It would click. I said, man, I love these guys. And I would gather the team together at the end. And I'll say, I want you guys to know today is the day that God really broke my heart for you guys, that I love you, and that I would answer the phone at 3 a.m. for you if you ever need anything. And that point of the season is when the team started to really gel. Yeah. And I think that's important for accountability. Oh, that really hits on the affectionate accountability piece in that. And you have to go through, I think, you know, what I always thought was with a team concept too, the only, you have to be in relationship with these people, which you are then as coach. And then the affectionate part, you being vulnerable, telling them, hey, here's the moment that I think this is. Can you then though, in terms of your faith, and that's where we were kind of getting with Trent on how easy is just like Jonathan Isaac, they're not being able, no one's showing up. Can you even go like for a player you really care about? Can you go into that aspect of their life and say, because I'm looking for summer camps now for my son. I, I mean, IMG as great of a program as it is, is not going to touch Christian faith when right. it comes to the entire team. Now there can be one-on-one -on -one conversations, right? but it can't be a, corporate. How do you do that? I can't, has it changed over well, time? Um, it's interesting. Without giving away any names and getting everyone in trouble, I have coached in four different public school settings. And all four were in high profile programs in their cities. And two of them, it was off limits. And two no of them- No mention yeah, of faith. And two of them, it was quote unquote off limits but it was encouraged anyway. Huh. And it all depended upon the athletic director and the principal. And so what I found was I had to learn, fortunately for me, most of my coaching career, I was supported by athletic directors and principals who bought into who I was mm -hmm. as a pastor and a coach. And, and there was nothing, but I found that it's just something magical about sports, honestly, that even if you have a player who's not necessarily of any faith, even an atheist, they begin to embrace what other people believe. They don't necessarily believe what they believe, but they respect it more because you really just come together as a family. Right. And, you know, fortunate for me, I had the privilege of most of the teams that I was involved with, you know, they were always at least decent or very, very good. Very few poor teams. Mm -hmm. 
and that, you know, the winning helps. But I just found that I learned so much about being a pastor from being a coach. I would say 80% of what I learned about ministry, I learned coaching. Really? Oh, yeah. You know, not the exegesis yeah, of Yeah, sure. But just dealing with a team, dealing with parents. Well, then let the me team. ask, I'm going to ask you this workbook <coughs> question. Think of someone in your life, this is page 71, who has earned the right to hold you spiritually accountable. What boundaries is, and targets has he or she set? How has this person established credibility through sacrificial love? How does that apply to you? Well, there's a uh, the, the guy who actually taught me how to coach football. Uh, his name is David Barker. He was the best man in my wedding. I remember when I was just out of high school and I was in college, I was still, you know, I, I wasn't the epitome of manhood you see before you today. A man uh, of the street. Yes. <laughs> I was rough. I had a lot of uh, rough edges. My heart was in the right place, but I struggled. You know, I was, I was crude. I was a little, you know, rough. But my friend David saw that, the good part in me. And whenever somebody would kind of be critical of me or, or throw me down, he stood up for me in public. Mm. He says, you're saying that because you don't know Joe. I know Joe. I know what his heart is. I know what his intention is. And you're wrong. And he stood up for me one day in a public setting. And I was like, whoa, that, that surprised wow. me. And he became my friend. And about three months after that, we were we, we spent a lot of time together and we went on a scouting mission for the varsity football team. We were coaching the JV team together. It was a two-hour drive to this watch this other team play. And in that two-hour drive, he took the opportunity to speak with me about things that I needed to work on in my life. Mm. And I, it was hard. But if I'm going to listen to anyone, it's going to be Dave. And you felt he'd earned the right. I did not even understand these concepts yet, Jim. But- I listened to him because he, he by, by osmosis had earned the right. Right. And so I didn't think, you know, one day I'm going to write a book on affection and accountability and Dave has really embodied that. So I'm going to listen to him. <laughs> I had no idea. I've right. never even read Philippians through at the time. And he had earned the right and he transformed the direction of my ministry. He transformed the direction of my young manhood. And I was like 20 at the time. And it totally changed how I looked at the word, looked at people. It was it was the most formative conversation, this two-hour road trip to go scout a team that ended up later kicking our butt anyway, because our scouting was terrible. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was the most transformational conversation I had with anyone. And it's because three months later or three months earlier, he was sticking up for me and defending me in front of people who were being vicious. Isn't that the impact that, that coaches and that pastors, like you said, that, that impact where someone is, well, think how biblical that is too, for Christ to come in and stand up mm -hmm. for us, to stand in our place. You, I mean, grace yeah. to say, I'm going to do this for you. You don't even have to go there and because I believe and I love you. I mean, th there's such an affection then than what that you then gave to your players. He was my, he was the head coach of that JV team, hmm. teaching me how to coach because I had a desire to coach. I wanted to coach. I loved football, and he taught me how to coach. Taught me how to put together an offense. I was an offensive coordinator mostly and quarterbacks coach. He taught me all that. And to this day, whenever I talk to him, I remind him, you know, for every bit of fruit I have in ministry, you've gotten a bite of it. Uh. Uh, to the to this day. I don't talk to him as much as I used to anymore. We get busy. He's married. I'm married, kids. But it was a huge impact because he had earned the right to have affection and accountability with me. And he took the time and he he took action when he needed Correct. to right then. And he cared. Like, Correct. I just think you really, there's no substitute for that. Wow, that's great. Well, if you've got a question for us, 
be sure to email us at livingthegracelifepodcast, livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. Joe, the last thing I want to ask on the action part of page 71, you say, ask God to show you how to earn the right to practice affection and accountability with Mm. others. Pray for God's grace to transform your heart and your fellowship so that you are abiding in love, not in death. What do you mean by that? Part of earning affection and accountability requires some creativity. You have to figure out, okay, if there's someone you care about and you feel like you want to develop an accountability relationship with them, I think it's wise thing to pray, God, show me what this person needs from me to know that I'm their friend. Show me what I can do to, sh- to show them that it's a two-way street, that it's not me above, Got it. but show that there's, there's some level of trust there. And then that helps you begin to build credibility. Whatever the acts are that you're doing, whatever the, uh-huh. the words you're saying, whatever the time is you're spending, God, I I see, I'm, I'm sure that's what David did with me. I see potential in this person. Please show me the wisdom of how to earn the right to, to speak into their lives. Yes. So, and then from that aspect, the minute you do, in a way, where two or more meet. And to this day, now I'm not, is there, right? it probably it's, won't work on the street. Like if you're driving and somebody cuts you off, God, show me how to earn the right to hold <laughs> them know, accountable. It may but, not yeah. apply. That <laughs> right. may be the death part. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So Part of that. Yeah. So, uh, well, that is our show for today. Joe, our next episode, we are going to look back at the first five chapters. We are at the halfway point mm. of your book. We've got some stored up questions that we want to get Good. to from all of those chapters. So on behalf of our studio man behind the scenes, Wayne Dallaire, the man who is in charge of Jump Dog Audio Productions, Pastor Joe Davis, and myself, Jim Hobbs. We want to thank you for joining us once again on the Living the Grace Life podcast. And remember, whatever you do each and every day, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life. 